Hi, everybody. This is Jessica with the Crossroads Church Podcast. I'm your host, and it's so good to be with you today. We love joining and connecting with you through the podcast. There are so many different ways that we can connect, and so I'm glad that you have found us here. We are Crossroads Church, an hour north of Denver, and the website is crossroadscolorado.com, and I will provide links in the show notes so that you can access different things that you might be interested in or looking for. For more information with connecting with us, there's a connect card, different ways to give. There's also a link to the Feed e-newsletter. So I encourage you to check that out when you have a chance. And today, Ryan is concluding this series called Love You, which is Love University. And so here he is. Exciting stuff. Yeah. No, okay, guess not. Sorry, I don't know. It's good. Hey, welcome. My name is Ryan. If you're a guest this morning, uh, I am so glad that you're here today. Uh, Thank you for taking the risk and coming into a new space, a church, which oftentimes can be very, very scary. I work here and I'm scared to come every week. Uh, Imagine, I can't hardly imagine pulling in. And the first time I pulled into this parking lot, I almost ran into the light post. Y'all know what I'm talking about, don't you? Don't act like you haven't done it either, right? Like I pulled out, I was like, what? Who did, how did it, what, where? And then I had to compose myself because I had an interview right after that. So it was all right. I did okay though, right? Jim, I did all right. But uh, it's great to be together. Uh, We're in our last uh, week of this series, Love University. If you're a guest this morning, we uh, kind of group all of our talks in a series and they usually try to have some connective. I don't know. Uh, We just see what happens here. So it's going to be great. If you're a talk notes person, there's uh, talk notes inside of your program or you can download those if you're tuning in online and it just gives you hope that it ends. You can just count down the fill-ins there. So it's, it's a lot of fun. So thanks for being here today. Hey, just a real quick update for our regular folks. This is Crossroads is your home. It's your church. You're a part of what we're calling Adventure is Worth It this year. It's our ministry emphasis. And we're talking about all these amazing adventures that we have going on here at our church. And one of those adventures is adventure in land development, right? All kinds of stuff. And so we have so many things happen. Just a real quick update. We talk about the Adventure is Worth It as an opportunity for us to give our time, talent, and treasure to forward the peacemaking vision of our church right, with our values of inclusion and fun and creativity and generosity. And in the middle of a pandemic and in the midst of a pandemic, which we are still in, even though we're not wearing masks, but we know that it takes an extra effort to keep moving forward as a church. And so this is an opportunity for us as as people who believe deeply in the mission and vision of what we're doing here and that it's very important. We give of ourselves. And so I want to say thank you. We've got eight, I think something like eight or nine brand new groups that are launching in the next two, three weeks of people who've just kind of raise their hand and go, I'll go on an adventure and lead a group where people can connect. And I'm excited about, we have a young adult group that's kind of relaunching with some uh, great leaders, just excited about it. We have a LGBTQIA plus adult uh, affirming group to bring that community together to just grow. It's awesome. We have such good groups happening. We've got a group starting for, if you're here and, and you are new and you are a woman and you want to connect, we have a group for you. 
It's amazing. We've got all these groups that are just incubating around. And so uh, we're excited. You can check the box, learn more about that stuff. So that's kind of like all the amazing stuff that's happening. Our, our, our early adventure center is open. I just talked to Jamie in the hallway. I said, Jamie, do we get more kids? We like doubled last week in kids. I like to use the word double because it sounds better than eight. That's a little pastor trick. Always talking percentages. Always talking percent. 100%. But she's excited. You know, the problem is, is staff. So if you uh, are a, if you love kids and you're certain you want to work at the most amazing daycare in northern Colorado, it's right here. So unless you own a daycare and yours is just as good. Sorry. <laughs> Always got to remember that. We're now in competition, Katie. I forgot. No, it's, uh, it's good stuff. So lots of uh, our fund. So we raise extra money to just propel us forward, pay the mortgage, get things going in ministry. Our goal this year is $250,000. We're about $92,000. It's February. Great job, everybody. So if you're contributing on a regular basis. So lots of good stuff happening. And we're doing a choose-your-own-adventure for Lent. A choose-your-own-adventure for Lent. I'm going to be talking a lot about that next week. But Lent is the season between Ash Wednesday and Monday Thursday. It's a 40-day period. It's an opportunity for us to really focus in on our soul care, spiritual reflections, a time of repentance, to understand the power and healing nature of repentance. Sometimes that word has been used to oppress, but it is a freeing concept, I promise you. So we're going to have a great time in this next year. So lots of good stuff happening. It's an exciting time to be a part of what God is doing here at Crossroads. And I want to thank you so so much for being a part of that. And if you're a guest, that just gives you a little hint of what we're about here. So, uh, and uh, if you are a guest this morning, um, I, I have I, my cell phone number's on the website, but you can write this down. It's 207-608-1106. If you're not a guest, you can write it down too. I won't answer it if it's you, but just forget. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, you can write that down, and, and I would love to meet you. I'd love to have coffee. I'd love to just get to know you, answer any questions you have about our church, about myself, my own journey, any of that. This past week, I was able to get together with five different people. It was awesome. It was a good week. It was a great week. That's one of my favorite things to do. So if you'd love to get together, I would love to get together. Just send me a text message. That would be wonderful. All right? Let's close in prayer. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Some of you did it. I, you don't even have one blank filled in, and you thought it was over. Man, I see where your hearts are this morning. Wow, that is, that's pretty unbelievable. Listen, let me ask you a question. Raise your hand up nice and high if you're tuning in online. Give a thumbs up in the comment section. How many of you have ever experienced really, really bad hospitality? Really bad hospitality. Like some of you knew it right away when I said it. You were like, Bam, like you raised your hand. Uh, you know what bad hospitality looks like. You just feel gross, right? You just feel like, what happened? Like I asked a simple question and it just fell apart, right? Could you imagine you get invited over by like your boss at work and they invite you and your spouse, your significant other, your partner, they invite you over for dinner and they say, well, why don't you come by the house at seven? And they, they say, you can find the address, just Google our name. You should know, like right there, this is going to start off bad. But you show up at 7 o'clock. Imagine they like open the door, not surprised that you're there, but totally in their pajamas. Just like, oh, we're glad you made it. You know, we weren't sure if you'd come or not, but are you hungry? You want, well, we can figure out something. Come on, come on in. Go ahead and come on in. No food prepared, right? Nothing like that. They don't even, they, well, we'll go to the grocery store real quick. What do you want? They got to go grocery shopping and get it, right? We, like that's a, a hyperbole, but we know how that would make us feel. And vice versa, we know what it feels like to have really good hospitality. 
Like some of you have the gift of hospitality. Like it just comes naturally for you. Like you just enjoy making people feel loved and welcome. It's, it's fantastic. I remember uh, early on, when I was pastoring another church, I was kind of, we were doing all this work thinking about what does that mean as a church to be hospitable? So we just started studying hospitality and what did that look like? And I remember reading a book called Setting the Table by a guy named Danny Myers. And Danny Myers is a restauranteur in New York City. He, at the time, he had like four or five different restaurants. And one of the things that he prided his restaurants in was their service, their hospitality. And so one time we actually did a trip, like I just needed a good excuse to go to New York City. So Wendy and I went down to the city and we said, we're going to, be there for like two, three days. Let's try and hit up some of his restaurants. We didn't go to the really fancy ones. We went to the other ones, you know. And we said, let's just see like how this gets lived out in the real world. And so we went to a restaurant called Blue Smoke, which is his barbecue place. It was, I mean, it was amazing. Like the way they greeted you and they just seated you, took care of you. And then we went to this little place that was brand new, like he had just opened his very first one called Shake Shack. Y'all ever been to Shake Shack? Yeah, there's one down in Boulder. We were there yesterday. Some of you, that's the first time you smiled in church today. I said, Shake Shack. That's really good. I'm glad. <laughs> glad we could make your day. Some of you are hungry right now, and you're going to go down to Boulder and eat Shake Shack. And uh, so you should make sure that they tie 10% of whatever you spend back to Crossroads for that little investment. But, and we went to the Shake Shack, and, and when we first got there, there was one that they had put, and it was, I think, on like Fifth Street there. And uh, it, the line was just around the corner. I mean, and we saw, I was like, oh my gosh. But it was amazing that like you would get in line and they would just take care of you all the way through that process. And it was super crowded. They'd help you find a seat. They just knew what they were doing, right? That's the power of hospitality. You wanted to come back. And the way in which people welcome us, right? Here's your first fill-in. Some of you are getting antsy. You're like, you're into this thing eight minutes, Ryan. We haven't got a fill-in. Let's go, right? <laughs> here's your first one. The way people welcome us really reveals how they truly feel about us. Right? The way a person welcomes us, the way a person greets us, the way a person opens their home, opens their heart, opens their life to us, it reveals, oh man, they really value us. And here's what's interesting. Here's what I think. I think is, let's just assume for the moment that a lot of us in the room are followers of Jesus. And let's assume for the moment that if, you're, if you would say, I'm not sure what that means, or I'm kind of new to the whole church thing, that there's some part of you that wants to understand or wants to explore God, the great mystery of God, the universe, whatever words you like to use, and you're here today. But let's say all of us in some sense have that kind of spiritual longing. So for the person who has a spiritual desire to live out like a, a truth of God's love, to follow Jesus, the way we welcome people actually reveals how we truly feel about God. Not about them, but about God. Because at the foundation of the Christian faith, as it's described by Jesus and in our heritage, is that every person is made in the image of God. And all throughout the Christian scriptures, we have all these really interesting little nuggets of how if we welcome, if we love, if we encourage, we're actually doing it to God or to Jesus or to angels. Jesus actually said, when you give a drink of water to someone who's thirsty, when you give something to eat to someone who's hungry, when you welcome the stranger in, you're actually receiving him. He says, if you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. John wrote a letter. We have this letter called 1 John towards the end of the New Testament. And John's letter is really grounded in this idea of love. And he says in his letter, how can you say you love God but hate your brother and sister. You can't do it. You can't say you love God and yet hate a brother or sister. And he says, because how could you say you, you love something you can't see or touch, but you can't love someone who's right in front of you? Like these things are deeply interconnected. 
And this idea that we could go to church and that we could shout our love for God and yet exclude and yet push away and not welcome people that are different than us. Paul would call this hypocritical love. Hypocritical love. How many of y'all like that word in the church? Hypocrite. All of us, hypocrites. For Paul, when he uses this word, he's going to, in one of his letter that he writes, the letter to the Romans we have in the New Testament, Paul says that we shouldn't have a hypocritical love. He starts off with that statement. He says, let love be without hypocrisy. Let love be without hypocrisy. Now, we've been studying 1 Corinthians 13, this beautiful chapter on love. And as we concluded, I said, I want to just kind of dig into what is the, what's the catalyst for it all? What's the foundation for it all? And I was reading, studying, I came across these three or four verses in Romans. I think, man, they offer a lot of wisdom for us as we move forward to how do we implement this amazing idea of Christ-like Jesus-centered, God-reflecting love. And what Paul says here is, let love be without hypocrisy. Or actually, it says, love without hypocrisy. Now, for Paul, the word hypocrite was an actor, was a person who stood on a stage and played the part of someone for an audience. So what Paul's really saying here in Romans chapter 9 is, you know, a Christ-like love isn't a performance for an audience. And that's really, if, you, if you've been paying attention or if you were able to be here uh, around 1 Corinthians 13, there was a lot of that taking place, a lot of performance art, getting in front of people, having the best gift, letting people see you. But Paul says, no, 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 let love be without hypocrisy. In other words, it shouldn't be a performance. It's not something that you do when you have an audience only. And I don't know about you, but that kind of hit a little home. So I stopped reading the Bible and just put it away right there. I said, nope, I don't want to have anything to do with that. That's a little too close to home for me, standing on a stage, <laughs> talking about love. I said, this is not for me. This is for somebody else, right? And so what Paul's going to do over these next two or three verses is he's going to tell us what loving without hypocrisy looks like. And by extension, what I'd like to say is what if Paul were to write, but this is what hypocrisy looks like in love. Right? So he's going to kind of walk through and say, this is what it means to love without hypocrisy. I'm going to help break it down for you. And what I'd like to do is say, well, what would it look like to say, this is what hypocritical love looks like, disingenuine love, right? So he starts and he says, abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. So the big question becomes, well, what's evil and what's good? How are we going to like, classify these things? Are we going to go into moralistic theism and say evil are these behaviors and this person and the way they act? Or are we going to see it in a different way? And so I would say, well, let's just skip over to what he says is good. Like cling to what's good. I always like going to the positive. Cling to what is good. Well, Jesus said to somebody, why do you call me good? There's only one who's good, and that is the Father. That's God. And then elsewhere in Scripture, it says that God is love. So I think, Paul, they cling to what is good. I said, well, cling to love. Like the ultimate goodness is love. The greatest commandment is that we would love God and love our neighbor. So cling to that. So I would say evil is the opposite of that. Evil would be not clinging to love. Evil would be exclusion. Evil would be not loving the people around us, right? Evil would be breaking relationship, right? dehumanizing instead of deifying people, right? And so, the, so I think Paul could say it this way. Like he said in 1 Corinthians 13 that love is patient and kind. So if we hold on to patience and kindness, right, with people, hypocritical love is kind and patient to some, but kind and unpatient to others, <laughs> unless people are watching, right? Hypocritical love says, I'll love the people that are easy to love. 
I'll be patient with the people that are easy to be patient with. I'll be kind to the people that are easy to be kind with for, to me. But those people that are not easy to be patient with, those people that are not easy to be kind with, I'm really not going to, I'm really not going to love them. Unless, of course, you're watching. And if you think you don't do this, you are a liar and the truth is not in you, okay? <laughs> Here's how I know this. How many of you in the room are either caregivers or parents of some sort? Like, you, you've, you've cared for children, okay? Now, you didn't want to raise your hand because you know where this is going. <laughs> you were like, oh, crud. <laughs> because you and I both know, if I were to come to your home and your children were to be there and they were to, like, act up a little bit, act like they acted their age, right? You would probably be more patient with them, be a little less harsh, than you would be if I wasn't sitting in your living room with you, right? And it's not Ryan, it's just there's a guest there. So you're like, we'll deal with this later. <laughs> Which basically means I will be kind and patient in front of our company, but when the audience is gone, I am gonna whip you, right? Or whatever. You know. <laughs> Hopefully you don't do that. It's more of a, a, a loving grounding or something. I don't know. <laughs> we do this. Like our spouses, our partners, the closest of friends, Right? There are things that we say in private without an audience that we would never say in public. Because you've been around people and you said this, imagine how they treat them privately if they do that in public. And see, that's what Paul says, no, that, that's loving with hypocrisy. But you have to cling to what is good no matter who's watching. And then he goes on, he says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Be devoted to another in brotherly love. Treat one another as if they're family, Right? recognize that that's why like in the church world we do that weird thing where people call each other brother and sister so and so we don't really do that a whole lot here i'm thinking about bringing it back <laughs> you're like no don't do that please it's creepy <laughs> but that's where it comes from right and to say that a person is family is to do what is to make them a priority right is to say i pick up the phone is to say i'm present right like is to say this is family well i'm stuck with you Right? i got to interact. Right? And so Paul says, this is the way we ought to be. We, and there's this devotion that would come with family. Now, in Paul's culture, it, it really even translates bigger because we live in this Western world where it's like the ideal is you raise your children and they go off and do their own thing. And the greatest measure of success is when they go off and they make their millions of dollars and they're out on their own and maybe they live someplace far away or maybe they live close. It doesn't really matter, but they're not with you. Right? <laughs> but in the ancient Near East... In, 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 in poverty within Paul, which he's talking to, like that was not the case. There was a devotion that made sure that your family was taken care of, that you fed your family, you cared for them, you lived together, you dwelt together, you shared with one another, right? That's why anytime really when you hear like practical stuff in scripture around caring for people, there's always the question of, well, what's the family doing? What's the family doing first? Or are they just abandoning them? But so I think Paul could say this. He'd say, well, hypocritical love doesn't make other people a priority unless, of course, people are watching, right? Like you'll get on the meal train if it's public <laughs> and your comment is noticed in the thread, right? But if it's like a private phone call, ah, I'm busy. Or you'll need the meal train. Like you might find that somebody's struggling, you know, you might hear that you could help them out. But like, well, you know, I'm busy. But then when it comes public, oh, this person needs help, and then you start to see other people maybe helping, <laughs> then you're like, oh, crud, I got to find a lasagna. Got to do something here to help them out, right? But that's Paul says, no, 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 no. 
like real, genuine, Christ-like love that is without hypocrisy, says, you are my family. And make no mistake, Paul's talking to the Roman church, the, the followers of Jesus together. And then he goes on and he says, give preference to one another in honor. It's kind of a weird statement. It's give preference to one another in honor. I think what he's driving home is that we should treat one another as if they're, they're better than me. <laughs> I should honor every person around me, right? I should recognize their value. Last week, Ricky talked about the value that every person brings to the body of Christ. Every person has intrinsically in, in, in life. So I think Paul would say, well, here's the deal. Here's what hypocritical love does. Hypocritical love doesn't recognize the value of others unless, of course, people are watching, right? Like if you come into church and you see that person that you think, oh, man, there is, that is a train wreck. And you just kind of avoid whatever it might be because nobody's, but all of a sudden, like if everybody's around, then it's different. It's different. Paul says, that's, no, that's not the kind of genuine love that you're supposed to have. We honor the other person. We say, well, Ryan, they're so different than me. I wouldn't know what to say. Paul would say, well, that doesn't matter. Tough cookies. It's on you to go value that person. And, and to honor the other person is to live with a disposition towards understanding. How do I understand their story, their life, their history, the things that have happened to them? How do I make space to listen? You know, the greatest gift you could offer someone is your humility and your ignorance. Did you know that? The greatest gift you could offer someone is your humility and your ignorance. And as a white male, <laughs> that's a tough one because we've just been conditioned that we are the normal if you're white and male in here. But the greatest gift that I can give to grow, to learn to honor someone is to offer my humility and my ignorance. Say, I don't understand your experience, but I want to. And I can offer that humility in lots of ways. I can offer that ignorance and grow and, and show that there is value there. Then Paul says this. He says, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. This is every pastor's dream verse to preach on right here. <laughs> you better get serious about serving Jesus in this church, right? What does that even mean, right? I mean, Paul's saying, listen, there's an intentionality to your spiritual life. There's an intentionality to following Jesus. There is a relationship with God. There's a relationship with love, right, that's present. But there is also this thing that Paul calls the church to, and that is an active engagement in the work of God in this world, the restoration, the healing. We call it peacemaking around here. So I think Paul would say, listen, hypocritical love, it's negligent and unintentional in peacemaking, unless, of course, people are watching Right? If people are watching, then I'm going to. But, but what about when nobody else is watching? What about when you're at home by yourself and you're deciding what to read next? Are you choosing to read something that maybe is contrary to what you've been taught, contradictory to your experience to help you understand the experience of another that might challenge you? We talk about the unacceptables. Are we reading to understand that how poverty works in a culture, in a community? Are we reading about otherism, othering, how we look and, and we displace and we say, this person's not like me? Are we looking to understand the lived experiences of the people we see? Are we doing that in private or is it just when people are watching? Well, if Brian talks about it at church or if whoever's speaking does or if there's a book and there's a study, then I'll go do it. But are we actually internalizing it when nobody's watching? So for us, when we talk about serving the Lord, I want to be really clear. I'm not talking about, you know, volunteering in the nursery. I think that's a part of it, and I would encourage you to do that. 
I would encourage you to, be a, a, to lead a group. I would encourage you to be a room host. I would encourage you to be on the snow removal team. I would encourage you to use your gifts to strengthen the church. That's a, a part of participating in community. But I think that's, that's kind of like scratching the surface of serving the Lord. Because serving the Lord landed Paul in jail. <laughs> like we have Book of Martyrs because that's like serving the Lord. Like when you start pushing into wholeness, that means you start stepping into the darkness. Right, and I believe I know that a nursery and a toddler room can feel dark at times. <laughs> I do, I do, I get it. But when you start pressing into the systemic realities of our world, and you start going, maybe I'm participating in it, man, that hurts. And there's an impact on the wallet in there, and there's an impact on on who wants to hang out. Right? There's ways in which suffering comes when we actually live in this. So for us here at Crossroads, we talk about Jesus saying, blessed are the peacemakers, so they will be called children of God, heirs of God, in the family business of God, part of the household, right? Bringing peace and wholeness. And so we create wholeness in our world and the lives of people around us, whether people are watching or not. And then Paul finishes this little section of his letter. He says, rejoicing in hope, persevering, persevering in tribulation or troubles or trials, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints. That's when he says saints, it's not perfect people. That would just be contributing to my need. We want to contribute to everybody's need. You know, I'm the only perfect person in the room, let's be honest. Now, saints is just a, a short term for people that were following Jesus that kind of, he would say, recognize God's call, recognize who God is, what God is doing in their life. So meeting the needs of the saints and practicing hospitality, such a, I think it's a funny ending, practicing hospitality. Like, where did that come from? Like, I get it. Pray, meet people's needs, rejoice in hope, perseverance, hospitality, right? And I think what Paul is saying here is, listen, hypocritical love, hypocritical love says I love you, says we're welcoming, says all that stuff, but it doesn't really support others in times of trouble unless people are watching, Right, Because that's what I hear when I read this like, group of things that Paul puts together, which we could do like a whole six-week series. We could do a whole week on hope, right? rejoicing in hope, what that looks like, hearing somebody's story and letting it encourage you that God is faithful, that they've walked through it and come out on the other side. So we can rejoice in the hope of others, and it brings hope. And so I rejoice even when I'm in the middle of it, persevering, all these things we could talk about. But hope and perseverance and prayer and meeting the needs of others, it all speaks to times and experiences of trouble in our life and needing to be present with people in the middle of their trouble and in the, the hardships of life. Not seeing everything through rose-colored glasses, but just honoring the pain and being present in it. And Paul, in particular, he certainly understood the trouble of knowing and following Jesus. He understood the power of needing people who would walk with him to persevere in tribulation. He knew what it meant to have people pray for him. But I also think he knew what it meant to have people show him hospitality. And I think that's why he finishes with it in this list, that hospitality in some ways was fundamental and foundational to this whole experience of authentic love. Were you willing to open up your home and welcome the stranger? <laughs> the, the, I mean, that person traveling through town, were you gonna follow the hospitality law codes of your culture that said, when people are coming in through town, you don't let them sleep out in the street, in the, in the square, that's dangerous. You have a responsibility to open your home up. This person you don't know. And this was serious stuff. So Paul comes into a community. He doesn't know where he's going to stay. He's traveling around. 
He understood the power of being welcomed. He understood the grace that was experienced when that home was open and, and safety and care was given. So here's what I don't want us to miss. As we wrap up this series, as we kind of walk out of here and forget the last six weeks of our lives, here's the thing. We can overcomplicate love. We can get caught up on when we fail. It can all happen. But I think if we'll just, it can all start. It can all kind of springboard off of this idea of hospitality. The hospitality sets the table where people can experience genuine love. And as I've kind of tried to learn a little bit about that wonderful history of Crossroads that Katie mentioned, in 1996, I was a sophomore in college. Wasn't even, no, I was a freshman in college. I wasn't even thinking about Crossroads Church. I was thinking about this the other day as I was like doing some math. Like the next person, Lord willing, y'all have me around just as long. Like that next person who, who leads Crossroads, like they might be eight years old right now. And God's working in developing her life, right? I mean, who knows what God is gonna do? Those are powerful things, right? And, if, and I was like, that's a total sidebar, by the way. But as I was thinking about this longevity of our church and where God is taking us, you know what I think one of the secret sauces to Crossroads has been? Hospitality. Just creating that space that says, we don't have to have all the answers. We don't wanna do anything that's gonna make people not feel loved and welcomed. And that's true. And it's true as the, of the gathered church, and it's also true now as the scattered church is in our individual lives. So Emily, a woman named Emily Stimson Chapman, she wrote a book, right? She's the author of this book called The Catholic Table, Finding Joy Where Food and Faith Meet. That sounds like a good book, right? I could read that one, right? And in this book, she, kind of, or she talks about this idea of hospitality, and she wrote a blog uh, for the St. Paul Center of Biblical Theology. And in this blog, this is what she says. I'm going to do what you're never supposed to do. I'm going to read you a long passage, okay? So hold on with me. She says, when the biblical writers talk about hospitality, they're not talking about slaughtering the fatted calf for every person who comes calling, right? Or laying out a fancy spread of artisanal cheeses and imported olives. In other words, she's saying she's not, the, the biblical writers are not overcomplicating this. They're not saying you've got to sacrifice everything in your life for, and lay out the best, right? When they're talking about it, what they're simply saying, she says, is opening the doors of our homes and inviting others in, right? Giving the lonely, I love this, giving the lonely, the lost, the weak, the hungry, the struggling, the searching, the stranger, and the friend an opportunity to experience the love of God through the love we show them. That's it. That's what the biblical writers are talking about. That's the wisdom behind hospitality. And then she says this, all you need to practice hospitality, because we can get worked up, right? Some of you are like Martha Stewart, and you put pressure on us. We come to your house, and you've got like different height candlesticks, <laughs> and you've got like different size bowls for everything. And you have individual salt and pepper shakers for us when we sit at your table. It's very intimidating to try and be hospitable after being in that environment, right? You have cloth napkins folded, shaped like little pigeons or something. So much pressure. I love what she says. All you need to practice hospitality is something to eat, something to drink, and a heart willing to love. You want to know what it takes to be a connect group host, leader, whatever words you want to use? That's it right there. Something to eat, something to drink, and a heart. Well, what will we talk about? I don't know. Talk about what you're eating and drinking for six months. <laughs> something will come. Something will come up, right? 
You eat enough, you drink enough, something's bound to spring up. Somebody's bound to explore the depths of their soul with you, you know? And so I think that in our normal lives, right, our Monday through Saturday existence or whenever you don't participate in this talk, I think there's a way that we can like learn from this and intentionally just develop some some hallmarks of hospitality, right? Jesus-centered hospitality. If we can set the food out, if we can set something to drink, what could we do to create the kind of ecosystem, right? What could we do? So I just thought of four hallmarks of hospitality from, from this passage that we get from Paul. In our lives, if we want to create a space of hospitality. So right now what I'm doing is I'm going to just teach to those seven of you that are going to host connect groups over the next six weeks. Right? So this was for you, Roland and Matt and Bina, all right? This is it. You want to have a successful experience. I promise you, focus in on these things. Number one, like develop hearts that are devoted to what you're doing. Just be devoted to the people that are there. And in your life, be devoted to that person that's in front of you. Be devoted to the, the people that show up when you have a dinner. Whatever it might be, just be devoted. Make it a priority. It's got to be important for you, and then it spills over into the importance of other people. So you make it a priority. You devote yourself to it. The second hallmark of Jesus-centered hospitality is places that are prepared. In other words, don't show up in your pajamas, right? Prepare the space. You want to know one of my pet peeves as a church leader? Nope? Okay, we'll move on. (laughs) It's always fun to ask a question to the audience in a church that really doesn't ever respond because you know that joke's going to land every time. Okay, listen, here's, here's one of my pet peeves. Like somebody is super excited about leading a volunteer team, right? And they, oh yeah, I am all in. I'll do it. That's wonderful. And then all their volunteers show up before them. See, Julian's shaking his head. He's like, mm-mm, that's not how we roll, right? You've got to be there early, You have to welcome even the people that are there to welcome the people, right? Like, you can't show up five minutes after your second volunteer. You're leading a team. They're like, what is going on here? No, you got to get there early. You got to have the coffee ready, some donuts out there, some homemade streusel, some Mama Perez burritos ordered two weeks before, set out, right? That's how you develop hospital. People say, I was thought about before I ever showed up. And that's, that's the beauty of places that are prepared, right? And that's really, truth be told, everything we do as a church is just about becoming more like Jesus. How can we love one another? How can we do that? And then here's the, the next one is just hands that are open. So you have to come to this space. Hospitality is not simply come in in this moment, but just living this life with my hands that are open. I just want to meet others' needs however I can with whatever I can. I might not be able to meet the whole need, but I can participate in it. So just develop open hands. And then then this, I think, is probably the most important thing in creating Jesus-centered hospitality, and that's minds that are curious. See, most of us come and have had a church experience where we have minds that are closed. And so we think that the idea of a group or a class or an experience is to come and be told what I should know so that I could keep God happy, what I should believe so that I can be in, But really what I see as a much deeper and better understanding of the gospel is, no, I just, I need to be curious about all that God is and all that God is doing in the world, even outside of what I understand and have been handed. 
And so I have to be curious. I have to ask questions. I have to learn without prejudice. I have to learn without pride. I have to learn without judgment. Stories, getting to know people. So I have to bring a mind that's curious. Jesus would ask questions all the time, all the time. And so we develop those minds that are curious. And we do this, hopefully, as both the gathered and scattered church. Now, some of you are getting excited. You're like, one more fill-in. Come on, bring it home. Bring it home. The train's moving towards the station. So we gather and we do things like nursery and preschool. And, and we have student ministries. And we have small groups. And we have activity groups. And we have care and support groups. And, and we have all these beautiful things that we do together. We have partners in hope groups that are getting bread ready for spaces in the community that are working in food insecurity and, and doing all kinds of stuff that you can participate in as the gathered church. But we also do this as the scattered church. When you go out into your everyday normal life, that's really where it happens. That's where it happens. That's where all of a sudden your home becomes a sacred space because you brought this gift of hospitality and you opened it. And, and where love is, healing happens. Where love is, healing happens. The cure might not, there's a difference between healing and cure, right? I might not be able to cure someone, but I can be a part of healing the effects of whatever that ailment might be. Because oftentimes the ailment produces exclusion and fear and loneliness, but love heals. The coffee shop becomes a sacred space because that's where love is present in hospitality because you bought me coffee. You get the joy of that. <laughs> We should be always, I just want to bless and encourage, right? Our coffee shops, our workplaces. Now some of you are like, whoa, you've crossed the line. Wrap this up, Ryan. It's 11 o'clock. My workplace, you have no idea what my work, my workplace isn't fun and exciting and filled with people that love Jesus like Crossroads. <laughs> There's no problems here. Like, you don't have any idea. But guess what? Like, your workplace can be a space where you offer hospitality Maybe it's a super stressful season, there's a project going on, and you just say, you know what, Lord, how can I bring hospitality to this moment? Say, hey, once a week, I'm just going to gather all these people that I work with and say, hey, let's brown bag lunch together and just check in. How are we doing? How are our families? What's going on in your project? Let's help one another out. You keep it like light like that. Just do something. Like you, you can bring that hospitality. You can be a leader. You can create that space. You can change the culture. What are you talking about, Ryan? Man, that's what the Spirit of God is for, to be a culture shaper in those spaces. Now, granted, it's hard, <laughs> but nobody ever said the idea of taking up your cross every day would be easy. It's not going to church, right? It's bringing wholeness and peace into those spaces. And what's so amazing is as we let hospitality flourish in our lives, hospitality will create a space where two of the greatest enemies of our souls can just die, fear and loneliness. See, I think hospitality creates that space where unconditional love is present in speaking, and fear and loneliness, that's the hard part of it. And really, really amazing hospitality. Again, not like everybody gets their own individual salt and pepper shakers and napkins folded in pigeons. Like, that's fine. But really amazing hospitality is this space that says you are unconditionally loved here so you don't ever have to be afraid. So every other space in your life might be performance-based, but when you show up at my home, when you and I sit down in this coffee shop, when you walk into this church, this space is filled with unconditional love, and so you don't ever have to ever be alone. I might not be able to fix the problem. 
I might not be able to change the circumstances, but you don't have to be alone in them. You don't have, that's what, that's what hospitality says. And then hospitality says, here's the scoop. In this space, we are so devoted to each other, you don't ever have to be afraid. Because <laughs> again, you're not alone. We are just devoted to one another. You are loved. You can always be yourself. You don't have to be afraid. You're not alone. We are devoted to you. Every other space, you might find people just give you platitudes, but no, this is the space where we'll actually show up to help you move. And that's probably going to be like mid-April uh, for the Howell family. <laughs> Fear and loneliness, they, they creep into our hearts and our souls. And there's that space where I just need to be able to sit and not perform. I just need to sit and know that I can say what's on my heart and my mind and don't have to worry about somebody going, should a pastor really say that? Like, we all need those things. We all need that space. And that's what hospitality, genuine, the hospitality that Paul is longing for that's not built upon a love that has hypocrisy, but it's genuine. It's 1 Corinthians 13. So we're gonna close this out with communion uh, this, this week. Communion is where we pause and reflect on the love of Jesus for the world. And the greatest love that was expressed by Jesus was he gave his life. He submitted himself to our violence to show us that violence is not the answer. He submitted himself to the violence of humanity to say that God is not violent. <laughs> and, and he took up his cross and he returned the violence with love. That's how you know you're dealing with God. That's how you know you're dealing with truth. And that's what Jesus did, and he showed that way. And, and that metaphor of the cross has been used and tried to, and explored different ways, but that, I think, is really what brings us to atonement, is when we understand that God is not violent, that God is love, and God is so much love that God was willing to submit to our violence to end it, even though it's going to take a long time. So... We have this, these elements. We have the bread and the cup. The bread represents the body of Christ. The, the juice represents the blood of Christ that was shed for all of us. And I've said this before, and I believe this deeply, and, and you might think differently, and that's okay, but I just believe that this moment is really the great scandal of Christianity because it says that God is as present as juice and bread. <laughs> that's it. There's no hoops to jump through. There's no special prayers to pray. There's no in-group. There's no class to take that this reminds us that God is as present as just bread and juice and can nourish us. And anybody can eat bread and anybody can drink juice and anybody can be transformed by what it means. That's the beauty of it. It's not about the religion you're a part of, the words you use to describe God. We'll never fully understand God, but we've been given this great, great mystery that God so loved the world, loved the world. And so, these elements represent that love for you and for me and for the seven billion people on this planet. And when we live in that flow, now we're in the spirit. So you're invited to stand right now. That's my nice way of saying stand up if you can to come and receive the elements if you want them. Everybody's welcome. There's no class to take. There's no full-on understanding. This is just an opportunity to experience God with us together. If you're a guest, you're welcome to come forward. If not, don't worry about it. If, if you're in the room and you can't make your way forward for whatever reason, um, would you all just look around and if you see someone that, that perhaps through a disability or something can't make it forward, would you serve them? And that would be a wonderful act. And so just be mindful of the people around us while we sing this song. And, and as we do this, Ask yourself this question, what is God inviting me into today? 
What is God inviting me into as I've explored love over these last few weeks? Or maybe this is the first week you've been here, you're a guest. Trust me, if you'll open your heart, the universe is speaking, (laughs) always drawing us, always connecting us. It's the great mystery of God. And just in this moment, open your heart to what God would have for you. If you're here with a family member or a spouse and you'd like to pray together uh, as you have communion, you're welcome to do that, to pray with your children. Maybe you've never done that before and that's a, a weird thing to just say, hey, let's pray together. Go for it. You don't have to. I'm not gonna pray over us just during this song. You can struggle to open the top and get the little bread out and struggle to open to get the, the, the juice open as well on your own and just take it. And we do this together, right? It reminds us of the love that we're called to emulate in this world. The body of Christ broken for you and all seven billion people on this planet and the blood of Christ shed for you and all seven billion people on this planet. Come and eat and drink and be nourished by the love of Christ in this moment. get ready to head out this morning. A couple of next steps there. If you want to connect in a group during this season of Lent or you want to start a group, just check the box and we'll follow up and help you with that. If you're, if you're interested in learning more about the Choose Your Own Event Lent, Lent journey that's going to start next week and some of the resources that we'll have available, you can check that box and you'll get an email that just kind of talks about that and what we're doing. Before we give the blessing for today, I just as we wrap up this series, I just want to say thank you to everybody for participating and being a part of it. Thank you to all the volunteers that make it possible for us to come. Uh, thank you to the graphic designers and, and the people who pray every week and who all the things that take place for us to function as a church. I'm grateful. And so thank you to everybody who makes that happen on a regular basis, to all of our sound people, our musicians who come and practice. We couldn't do it without a ton of just giving of time and talent and treasure. And so thank you. And thank you to those of you that give every week so that we can be here and we can be creative together. It's wonderful. So I'm gonna invite you to stand. We're gonna head out. And if you'd like to, if you'd be so inclined to open your arms to just signify as a metaphor that you are opening your heart and your soul to this blessing this morning, that these words would have power in your everyday normal life this week. So today, as we have concluded this series, exploring the power and the mystery of love, And as we've celebrated communion, the great scandal of Christianity that proclaims God's love is for all, may you continue to plumb the depths of the mystery of love, not through study, but through practice. And I pray that this love finds its way out of your head and into your homes and your schools and your workplaces. And may you discover that the greatest classroom for learning about the power of love is your everyday normal life. And in that everyday normal life, as you live and move and have your being in God, may you cultivate these four hallmarks of hospitality, hearts that are devoted, places that are prepared, hands that are open, and minds that are curious. Amen. Have the best week possible.